Recorded live. Scuba Obsessed is the weekly podcast. We talk about all things scuba diving, from cool new gear, places to dive, and scuba in the news. Scuba Obsessed episode 237 was recorded live April 16th, 2015. Welcome back to Scuba Obsessed. I'm Darren Jilson coming to you from the jungle side of the state of Michigan. Joining me this week is Mac the Dive Mentor. How are you doing today, Mac? I'm doing very well, thank you. And what do you mean, the jungle side? Well, it seems like a week ago you couldn't tell the grass was alive, and now it's knee-deep. <laughs> My neighbors have already mowed. Excuse me. I'll wait. <laughs> it's, it's a bubonic plague I picked up over the weekend. Uh, I was going to say, my neighbors have already uh, thatched their lawns, filled in the little weedy, unweedy parts, planted grass, and mowed it on two sides. So as I get one to go, I'll have to do mine. Oh, my goodness. So that's what you do? You wait? You have, it's once three have done it, then Well, theirs the are starting to look pretty up. good. Yeah, theirs are looking good, so my grass needs to get a little higher before I cut it. Yeah, mine's, uh, it, it, it's bad. And the problem is my lawnmower died towards the end of last year, so it didn't get its final cutting. So it's a little rough, and it needs to be mowed. So. Well, you had scissors. Yeah, the scissors. That would be the way to do it. <laughs> well, I uh, thought you had animals. Let them graze the yard. Oh, yeah. That's, you don't have a yard when you let them graze. You, you, you get a little, little mounds that come up, and usually they're like in the path where you want to walk. Or, and well, after, afterwards, you don't want to walk there. Well, let's go ahead and jump on into the news. First one's a follow-up from Hawaii. Looks like the governor is sitting on that commercial fishing bill. Last month's West Pacific Fishery Management Council meeting, Alton uh, Mashaka, representing his Department of Land and Natural Resources, reported that Governor Dan Engel has not yet signed two fishing rules passed Late last year, on October 24th, the Land Board approved a community substance fishing area rules which established strict limits on the kind of marine life that could be taken, which banned commercial fishing from portions of the North Shore. The rules are results of seven years of grassroots efforts had garnered broad community support, but a contested case hearing requested by commercial fishermen prevented rules from being signed. When Land Board denied that request in December, it's cleared away for the governor to sign it. According to Mishaka, However, the governor has not signed them. He said the DLNR is considering asking community to work out the details arrangement that would somehow allow commercial fishermen to harvest invasive fish species such as tapie. But hoping in the meantime the governor signs the rules, which can immediately do an amended process. Oh, sorry, I've been I was sick over the weekend, and I'm, I won't be surprised if my voice dies before we're done. But uh, that's that's part of our government process is uh, governor gets to not sign things. They can always go back, I assume, and have it overridden. Well, they want them to go ahead and sign it and then edit it or revise it, put some amendments in to allow fishing for invasive species. Um, it's interesting. So they're being heavily lobbied by the anti-aquarium collecting side, which opposes the rule for not being restrictive enough, which is unusual. That they oppose it or... 
No, they're, they're for it. They just say it's not restrictive enough. They want more laws. And they figured that was quite unusual to have people ask for more restrictions as opposed to there's too much. Well, I mean, when you get a lobbying group that obviously is, has a lot of support. But again, it's always a question of money. Who's got the money? Not necessarily if you went by, you know, population vote. Mm-hmm. It's who's got the money and who's going to benefit more from one way or the other. And that's yeah. unfortunate. But, hey, that's a fact of life, isn't it? It seems to go that way. Yeah. He who has the goal makes the rules. <laughs> and if I can get this to... Oh, you got to be kidding me. I am really disliking this. So what's going on now? Well, it just won't take a clip. Ugh. Trying to get to my next article, which is volunteers and scuba divers are needed to uh, Redondo Beach Saturday. Help the Mass Center in making the Redondo Beach waterfront cleaner space above and below the water service surface Saturday, April 18th from 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. Is this Des Moines, Iowa? Is that where they're going at? That's what it said, and it sounded to me like California, but obviously not. Yeah, they call it it's part of the Earth Day, and we have that up here also. Uh, it's a roadway and pier clear event. And we did look through that, and it's, it's, you know, they always look for volunteers, both surface and subsurface. But the question we came up with as we were reviewing it, it talked about qualifications for divers. And that's not unusual. Generally, around here, they say, you got to be open water certified, which means you've been out there before. But this one was worded, remember we talked about it, advanced and open water certifications required. And we were curious why they would have said that since... If you're advanced, you already have the OWD. I'm as I read this. If I was to look at that, I would say you have to be both, which you would be if you had advanced. Right. So you wouldn't have to say OWD. You would just say advanced open water certification. So that that's very quizzical. That's a word. Yeah. I, I wonder if they've somehow had a case where somebody had one but not the other. I mean, it, the, could you have the advanced without the open water? I don't know how because a prerequisite is it's stepping stone. Yeah. Or maybe it's just a, just how they worded it, odd as it is. If they'd left the hand out, it would have been correct. Well, what would you do with a couple million dollars in silver? Uh, I'd have that boat, side scan, magnetometer, <laughs> autopilot, uh, a hell of a nav system, and uh, somebody knows how to use it while we went out and mowed the lawn. <laughs> Well, Great Britain knew what they're going to do with it, and it was melted down and not tell anybody about it. Millions of dollars in World War II silver recovered from the deep ocean. It took seven decades, but England finally got a delivery of uh, silver coins. In November 1942, an unguarded SS city of Cairo was sunk by a German U-boat while carrying 296 civilians. Cargo included 100 tons of silver. The vessel was sunk more than 16,800 feet under the surface. 5,150 meters, where it went undiscovered until 2011 when Deep Ocean Search decided to go looking for it. The sinking was stuff of legends. City of Cairo was bringing silver rupees from India to England as part of a war effort. After a stop in Brazil, two torpedo ships, or two torpedoes, sank the ship in the Atlantic. After the boat went down, the U boat reportedly surfaced, and the captain said to survivors and lifeboats, Good night, sorry for sinking you. And it looks like the captain wrote a book about it. Yeah. Only a handful of people died when the ship sank, but a hundred more passed away during desperate attempts to on six boats to make it to land, which was hundreds of miles away. 
When the last of the lifeboats was found 51 days later, all but two people in it had died. Ooh, that would be a rough, rough boat ride. Uh, Ocean Search said, uh, Deep Ocean Search said the news release during the 2011 search, it located an unnatural object on radar. A sub found the city of Cairo split in two parts buried in silt. Under contract to the UK Ministry of Transport, DOS recovered several tons of silver coins from a depth of uh, 5,150 meters. It's a world record, the company claimed. Other deep water operations have are close at depth include the 1987 sinking the South American Airways plane at 16,000 feet and discovery of SS Garsopa at 15,400 feet. Uh, BBC reported the salvage operation was completed in September 2013, but the government made the company keep it secret until this week. Coins were melted and silver sold. The deep ocean search got a percentage of the sale. The UK Treasury got the rest. At today's rates, 100 tons of silver would be about $50 million. But initially, I, I read that, that they had also got a contract with the government to go looking for it, So, which is nice if somebody's going to pay you to go look for something. Mm-hmm. But second, 15,400 feet is a mite far down. That's a long way. So what are the operating expenses at that depth? I would venture you're talking multiple millions just in the recovery effort. So well, they, they, it'd, be, it'd be very interesting to know, to see what they cleared, what their expenses was, and what the government got and what they got. Yeah. That'd be really neat to find out. Yeah, the SS Garsopa, which is the one that Odyssey had recovered, that was hugely expensive. And they did make money on it, but, you know, that's it's like everybody made made money on it. You know, all the dock workers, all the, you know, they had to rent a ship who's capable of doing it. You have underwater equipment. But by the same token, if you know you can spend $10 million and get 11 back, that's 10% interest on your money. Well, yeah, why wouldn't not? You, wouldn't you do it? Oh, yeah. And not to mention that, you know, $10 million that was spent, hey, that went out to the industry, to the people, which yeah, got got, in circulation. Yeah, you, you added value. You got people jobs. You did something. Silver wasn't doing anybody any good sitting there in the bottom. But, but uh, I, I mean, what I'm curious is, is why why would they have to keep it secret till now? Well, I figure once it's melted and gone and it didn't report who made how much, can anybody else, like, where did it come from? Cairo? Oh, you think that's it? They didn't want somebody to be a lay claim based on the the marks on the coins? Yeah, because if they're coming from India, it's like the way I read what they're doing now to Admiralty Law, they would have had a claim. Hmm. It sounds like they would have. So I'm just curious. Once it's done, it's done. What are you going to do? Yeah, you can't prove it. I mean, you can't prove that the it was anything. Or you can't prove how much they really got, how much they you know spent, and how much. That, that's what I'm going to be interesting to know who got what and how much. Mm-hmm. But still, that would have been interesting to take a look at the equipment they used and the techniques for that deep recovery effort. Yeah, I wonder if they're going to televise that. They have some. They have some nice photos in the in the article. Uh, yeah, I went to the second article, and that's the one I really like. That's got those tarnished coins. I'm just wondering, did they clamshell it? Well, that's what the Garsopa was doing stuff like that. They were go, and the Garsopa was actually uh, bricks that they were pulling up instead of coins. Now, coins you might be able to vacuum. Yeah, but if they're inside a vessel. Well, you have to have, uh, like a lot of times, they'll have to have cutting, shearing gear. They have to peel. They had a, what they called a deck ripper that would rip decks off the top of the, the boats. You had to shear through. I mean, they had a shear that could cut through uh, I-beam. All expensive equipment and operating that three miles away. Yeah. Yeah, there's one. Got to be something. Huh. 
Yeah, because they're showing photos. Yeah, they just, uh, one rupee, 1901. Well, hats off to them, and I'm glad they did it. Yep. And then... Treasure day today, huh? It, it is a treasure day. Even Hawaii got on on the act again. Not going to let people fish, but they found some treasure. Oh, darn it. Did it again. Damn it. Well, this one was totally different, though, when you look at how deep they had to go to get it. <laughs> uh, quite the opposite of what we just looked at. So so a little bit uh, shallower? Well, 10 foot of water and 10 foot of sand. Yeah, that, that's, uh, I think we could have done that one. Well, and it, and they were working on it, what, six or seven years? Well, they said five years over a four-week period, four-week intervals yeah. from 95 to 2001 to pull up the treasures in 10 foot of water and 10 foot of sand. Yeah, so this is uh, a wreck from two centuries ago. Museum of Hawaii is preparing an open uh, house for uh, artifacts from a shipwreck of a royal yacht sunk in, what's this, Kauai in, uh, 191 years ago. <coughs> They work from scientists from the Smithsonian Institute to dredge up the findings of the ship owned by King. Oh my goodness! They're just like they're just repeating letters. It's like that's like what happens if your keyboard gets stuck. Kemahamahamaha. It's like Pee Wee Herman. Heine Ho, uh, aka Lahailoloho, second king of Hawaii. We found gold, silver, Hawaiian poi pounders, gemstones, a boat whistle, knives, forks, mica, things from all over the world, high and low-end European stuff. Every bit of it is a royal treasure. Rogers volunteered his time aboard the ship, uh, the research vessel, over a five-year period and four-week intervals from 1995 to 2001 to pull up the treasures. It's all picked and nicely ready for display. There are over a thousand artifacts. We did our homework to find this invaluable because it all belonged to a king, a fabulous window in the 1820s. Said the belongings were buried in 10 feet of water and in 10 feet of sand. His favorite discovery was the trumpet shell. I found it under a bunch of sand, carried it to the deck. It was in 1999. I blew it, and it made almost a beautiful sound going over the bay. Well, it's quite interesting since those are the only known objects from that period of time, especially in Hawaiian history. Which seems amazing that you wouldn't have any other records. I guess, did it all get hauled to the mainland, sold as trinkets? I, I thought it was funny. They were talking about, you know, it's an 83-foot-long ship, and everybody on board was drunk, and it went aground in a shallow reef. So if that the, was quite interesting. So, so if they weren't intoxicated and sank the boat, then none of this stuff would have ever been seen. Or maybe. I'm looking at the well, photo. They, they, they prefer to think that it wasn't drunken sailing, but it was a combination of unexpected wind gales and a snapped anchor cable. And they said nobody was... Nobody was reported to have died, and the crew was uh, entirely by Hawaiians. I did look that up, and I sent you another picture of what the uh, the boat looked like. They called it the, um, oh, what did I say I called it? Darn. The barge? Oh, the uh, uh, Cleopatra's barge? Yeah, Cleopatra's barge. And I looked at it, and I thought, barge? I've seen pictures of Cleopatra's barge. Uh, so this actually has sails on it. It's quite interesting, and I'm curious how they learned to sail it. I wonder if they got, you know, when you bought it from the from the Brits, did they get sailing lessons with it? So Great Britain sold it to them. That's what it sounds like. It was purchased a, uh, the yacht from George Crowning Shield II, who named it Cleopatra's Barge in 1816. I'm trying to see a good picture of it. Is that the that that big sailing ship? Yeah, that square one looked like a looked like a barge. You can see the back end of it. Looks like two major masts on it. That's the one you're looking at. Yeah. 
It's got two big masts on it. Is it a? Yeah, I guess it is kind of a barge like. Yeah. Well, we can't really see the front of it to see if it had any kind of bow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would think that's not something that you just pick up in an afternoon and figure out how to sail. That's a pretty serious boat. Yeah. I mean, you know, 83 feet still 83 feet. And they said it, it uh, was, what, 192, 192-ton displacement? Mm-hmm. So that's pretty hefty. And the pictures of the trinkets were quite interesting, too, though. Yeah, the one with, the like, the spitting wheel and the cherub? I Yeah, I was curious about that. It's like... That certainly is not Hawaiian. No, they say that way. It had European stuff, so it looks like it's a pewter. It's a it's a cherub, and if you've ever seen somebody sharpening, you know, like uh, a knife sharpener, where you've got the little foot treadle yep. and the grinding stone, and he's looks like he's sharpening a sword. Yeah. If you look to the left of him, you'll see a picture or a rendition of the wrecked ship there on the, on the reef. And then if you go six pictures over, you'll actually see a sand, uh, like a... You know, they draft the, the wrecks mm-hmm. on the bottom. You'll see that, and it, it's definitely a square-type vessel. Yeah, they're, they're, yeah. I'm, I'm looking at that drawing now. It's, a, it's a definitely a, a barge with with sails. And then they show the one where they got the conch. Yeah. And it well, looks like... Uh, the, pictures, the pictures dictate that they actually tried to salvage it. If you look at the pictures, you'll see where they've got lines on the vessel going to shore and hundreds of people pulling on the lines trying to right the barge. So makes me wonder is if what they found was remnants because obviously it didn't go right to the bottom then how much did they get off of it Oh yeah you're if you're I mean if there's anything of value in that depth in Hawaii I mean they're going to get it Yeah by back then and cuz that was recent and they were talking about what they recovered was over 1200 pounds of items Yeah so it would so either be they, stuff that you would consider trash in the day or it got you just it, was buried in the stone or, you know, under the hull of the ship. Well, makes you wonder what they did recover a long time ago that's not there. I mean, if it displaced 192 tons, that means it had a little bit of cargo space. Yeah. And uh, that's 1,200 pounds is not even a ton. So what they got was only what they left over for you. Yeah, I don't know. I see the picture you're talking about. Yeah, you can see they it shows them trying to write it. Yeah. So I'm, I'm glad they're comfortable with what they found. Yeah, it made for some good diving. I mean, heck, who wouldn't want to do that? Yeah, unlimited bottom time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you're not going to worry about deco there. Uh, well, I thought your next one, that Japanese boat, was interesting. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, if you remember, God, that tsunami seems like that was so long ago, doesn't it? And it has been. How many years now? Now you're going to make me feel bad. <laughs> it's it's got to be at least four years. Yeah, four so what we're referring to is a chunk of the Japanese boat thought to be a tsunami, easy. tsunami. tsunami shipwreck was found in Oregon. 25-foot chunk of fiberglass that likely belonged to a Japanese fishing boat was discovered thousands of miles from its home <coughs> Thursday in the waters off the coast of Oregon. Stowed away in the, the board, the floatsome were several yellowtail jackfish, a species common to the ocean near Japan. Authorities suspect the boat was destroyed during the deadly earthquake and subsequent tsunami that ravaged eastern Japan four years ago. Killed more than 18,000 people, caused $300 billion in damage, and 5 million tons of debris slid into the Pacific Ocean, a majority of which immediately sank to the bottom. The remainder still floats scattered throughout the Pacific, where it periodically washes up on U.S. beaches. Oregon Parks and Recreation Department spokesman Chris Havel said the state had seen plenty of refuge from disaster over the past few years, including a 66-foot-long boat dock. 
A mannequin had several other sea craft, but it's uh, relatively rare to find animal life dwelling inside. The debris was first spotted Thursday evening a few miles from shore. A team of state agencies intercepted it, dragged it to harbor after scientists determined it was free of any invasive species. Next step is yank the wreckage out of the ocean, clean it off, and try to discern some kind of identity marks, which then be turned over to Japanese consulate. Why would you bother? I, that's why I'm wondering. Hey, here's your trash. I mean, take a look at the boat. Anybody, I mean, you can yeah. put the picture out there for the and then, and then maybe somebody might be interested, but, I mean, it's uh, it sounds like a little bit over formality. Somebody's yeah. trying to cover their butt on that. Biologists have already transported the fish to an aquarium and collected algae samples in hopes of learning more about the boat's origins. Uh, wreckage is likely remains a 50-foot commercial fishing vessel called a trawler designed to haul fish out of deep waters. Trawlers are the heavier models of commercial fishing boats, but Harville said this craft was not built to traverse distances anywhere close to the 5,000-mile uh, voyage it eventually took. Just imagine that if you lived and you were still on it, you'd still be dead because even though it didn't sink four years to cross the ocean and oh. nobody spotted you? No. Well, what they're, they're talking about is those fish were trapped inside part of the vessel. Yeah, that they were, How'd they live? How'd they get food? Well, I think that there had to have been, you know, waves crashing over, dropping stuff into whatever it ate. And maybe it's not so much a case where the fish can't support themselves, but that offered protection, kind of like a, a reef floating. That's true. You know, if they were in the open ocean, you know, they get picked off by something a long time ago. You know, here they could hide in the boat and then dodge out, grab something, come back in. Yeah, but that's a, that's a pretty good-sized chunk of something, isn't it? I wouldn't want to run into it, but I think a freighter would go right through it and not oh, even yeah. know to get it. Probably not. That happens all the time. In fact, if you those uh, guys who do the sailing around the world, it's not uncommon for them to hit sunken uh, uh, cargo containers. Well, yeah, I think I read something. That's one of the biggest fears is when they try to go to sleep. Yeah. They got it on autopilot, but it's like there's stuff out there, and if they hit it, they're screwed. Yeah, they, they said there's that, those, those containers will be between five five meters and 20 meters below the surface and they just they're just like perfectly neutrally buoyant and they'll come up and just ram into you and that would be frightening can't even take a nap because you're not sure what's under you yeah well but i mean i guess that's kind of the risk of going by yourself a thrill <laughs> and here's uh something we're talking about fishing trawlers uh here's a fishing trawler brought something up made one family a little bit upset this one's from Australia. The Peace family is angry at dumping of 1978 shipwreck memorial in a local tip. And I think, is this tip another term for junkyard? I don't really know. So it's the family of two men who were killed in a 1978 shipwreck has spoken to outrage after a relic of their boat, which has served as a memorial to the dead, was dumped at the tip. Fishermen on the Turunga. We're trawling off the waters of, uh, was it must be North South Wales? And I'm not sure, N NSW abbreviation, South Coast Tuesday, and raised rusty parts from Shirley for the first time in 37 years when their nets became entangled to ship's gallows and life buoy. They could not separate parts from the net. When they pulled it back, the wreckage was dumped in the local tip. Maybe that's a dumpster. No, but I don't know. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's open and old wound said uh, Francis Peace, whose brother Stephen and Michael died when the uh, Shirley sank. 
uh, capsized in Disaster Bay near Eden in August of 1978, sank to a watery grave. Since that day, it has served as a memorial to the three men on board, the brothers and mate Torrance Rowe, who perished in the tragedy. The trio's bodies were never found. Uh, Francis's surviving brother Leo, who ran the Shirley when Stephen and Michael were not available, went to the dump to identify the wreckage when he heard it had been dragged up. I went to the tip and saw, and there was a, it was the gallows of the Shirley, Mr. P said. I was pretty upset when you put a net in the water and you don't know what you're going to pull up. I think most fishermen in Eden area know where the wreckage is. So, yeah, that must uh, it was a dump. You know, I got to the picture at the bottom of the article, and there was trash and stuff in the background, so it looked like a dump. But how can you blame the fishermen? You got it. It's a rusty junk. It fouled your net. You had to clear your net. So you brought it up, cut away the good part. At least you didn't leave it there. You brought it ashore so it wouldn't foul somebody else's. And yeah. I'm, I can't believe that there were, you know, how did they know what it was? The comment, well, everybody knows where it is, is not necessarily true. Well, yeah, only, yeah. I mean, for you and I, 78 wasn't that long ago. <laughs> but there are some who weren't born yet. Well, and I don't think the remains are going to be anywhere near that from how long ago again? 73? Se- oh, yeah. 78. 78. 78. Yeah, and when you look at that boat, you could see how that'd be. You're pretty sure that wreck would have to be pretty much uh, all tore up. Now, they say how deep the wreck is. I did not see any reference to how deep. There's a plaque, but it looks like that's on the surface somewhere. Yeah, that's on some memorial wall, but where I don't know. If you went to that Facebook page, we could probably find out. Is there a Facebook page? Well, right under the plaque, there's a line that says Memorial Plaque to their Shirley Picture Eden, remember his Facebook page. Wow. So I don't know. But I don't think disrespect was intended, so. No, I, I and I, I would it even be legal for them to drop it back? I mean, well, when, yeah, and it's, you know, it's like us when we do our grubbing. We bring it up, we don't take it home, we put it in the dumpster or the trash. Yeah. Sometimes I put it on my shelf for a couple of years and then throw it in the trash. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, the Navy says there's no restrictions on diving former military ships, U.S. Navy has no plans to prevent diving in the Spiegel Grove off Key Largo or the USS Vandenberg off Key West. Navy officials cited the renowned Key Shipwreck Reefs as, by name and clarifying the federal rule on former military vessels intentionally scuttled as artificial reefs. The Department of Navy does not intend to restrict access to those military craft purposely sunk to establish artificial reefs. The Naval History and Heritage Command responded to a query from the Diving Equipment and Marketing Association, DEMA. DEMA, a national dive industry organization, was concerned that a 19, that a 2014 regulation forwarded under the Sunken Military Craft Act of 2004 had a potential to prohibit recreational diving on former military ships. The Spiegel Grove is a 510-foot former military ship sunk in an artificial reef off Key Largo in May 2012. The 522-foot Vandenberg was scuttled in Key West off 2009. The definition seems to imply that the vessel was at one time owned or operated by a government when it sank to protected our new regulations from being disturbed. Now, how stupid is this? All, all I know is I will never, ever find a military wreck. No. Aircraft or otherwise. Yeah, and what's stupid about this is is why. Why the fact that it was a military gives it any more right than anything else? Generally, if it's a warship or a vessel that sank in conflict and had bodies on it, that's considered a war grave. Yeah, but, I mean, this is just... uh, I understand that. You know, this is one of those great country lies 
where a government is saying, oh, yeah, it's yours forever. We won't go into it because that's what you want to have happen to yours. You don't want anybody to go and see whatever stuff you have on your vessel. But then none of the other countries, if it's good enough, none of the other countries are going to honor it anyway. Or like most people, I've never been on a government wreck. I've never seen a, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. What's a Marine? Yeah, what's a Marine? That's a sad. According to the Department of Navy, there appears to be no issue with all recreational divers visiting sunken military craft. There is, however, necessity to have appropriate permits if one intends to remove artifacts. Well, why would you remove artifacts anyway? Uh, You know better than that. (laughs) (laughs) Navy noted that since the key wrecks lie within the Florida Keys National Marine Sanctuary, the Everest Reef remains jurisdiction of NOAA and could be subject to NOAA regulation. You know, everything's illegal. You wake up in the morning, you breathe air, you're already in violation of something. The diving and snorkeling communities, by and large, have served as the effective ambassadors for the protection and preservation of underwater resources, blah, blah, blah. Okay, enough of this one. That You know, it's supposed to be an uplifting article, and all it did was make me depressed. <laughs> it's like... I mean, it, it, it's it's just I I just don't like the attitude. Well, we make a law to make it illegal, but we're not. But this is but that's not what we meant. We didn't mean for that. We meant for this over here. Until we mean for that. Or in this case, how about a bottle of champagne? Shipwreck champagne bottle is going for auction. The champagne bottle sat in the bottom of Lake Huron for seventy three years, is going up for auction at Owen Sound. The bottle salvaged from the wreck of the SS Regina sank in Lake Huron during the Great Storm of 1913 is to be sold at the 16th Annual Vintner's Dinner and Wine Auction at Stone Tree Golf and Fitness on April 18th. We were really fortunate to have received three very large boxes of artifacts from the salvagers of the Regina through, through one of our supporters. This is uh, Wendy uh, Tomlinson, curated community Waterford Heritage Center. Most of them have gone into our collection, but we have a few extras that we thought maybe we could have some fun with. The Georgia Bay Symphony approached a heritage center with the idea of auctioning the champagne bottle, uh, and Tomlinson said it was a great opportunity for a partnership. The dinner and the wine auction is a fundraiser for the symphony. Two organizations will share the proceeds that come from the sale of the champagne bottle. They don't really have an amount they would like to see for the bottle, but the sky's the limit. Uh, sort of unique is there aren't too many champagne bottles from shipwrecks around. We think it might have some interest in it. If you don't have the pedigree, it's just the wine bottle. I mean, do they Maybe, have- I found this piece of glass on this wreck. That's what makes it worth something. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think you're you're gonna whatever your pay is probably more than it's worth. It's just more of the novelty of it. I would have to think. Well, it's like having a plate off the Titanic. Yeah, I mean, it would be unique. When you just sat there and looked at it or, you know, a teacup and thought, you know, what stories that could tell if it could talk. Right. And of the tragedy itself, and yet it still is intact, yet the humans aren't. Right. So that's that's one way to look at it and appreciate it. But that's why I go to the museum to be able to look at the good stuff, appreciate it, and don't have to dust it when I go home. (laughs) Yep. They said there is a chance that some other bottles will be made available to public in the future, Tomlinson said. Whether we go and do it in our town on our own or have a silent auction kind of thing, I'm not sure what we would do, but we have a few tucked away that we could use for some kind of fundraiser. The now, you, see the, you see the picture at the top, though, with the, the gentleman in the steamer trunk? Mm-hmm. I've given away two steamer trunks similar to that, full of bottles. And you notice all of those are not wine bottles. There's a jar off on the right with a screw top. Yeah, and these are stuff that we find all the time. Yeah. Now, 
they don't show the photo of the champagne. Are they? Is there like champagne in that bottle? Is that what I makes it not, unique? I do not believe so. So it's just a champagne bottle. That, That's my understanding. Yeah. Oh, and the, and, the, and this chest, I think, is one of them. Well, maybe not. It's hard to tell. They're showing photos that may not relate to the story. And I thought this would be a good one that, that Jim might be interested in. The South Haven ship, uh, the South, I said shipwreck, South Haven Lighthouse logbook uh, is being digitized. Yeah, I've looked at that one, and Jim and I have both done that. We went to the uh, Chicago Library or the, the museum for their old artifacts, mm-hmm. and we looked through the books for the, when we were doing some research on the Chikora, able to actually look at the books. And read them. And I mean, to me, that's awesome to be looking at what this guy wrote the the week before and each day afterwards when he's doing his beach patrol about that wreck and what they found and didn't find. Yeah. And then realize how long ago that was. And look at his handwriting. Says, "I write, you know, just like that guy does." <laughs> and an ink. And who would ever think anything you're going to write is going to be showing up someplace hundreds of years later? Yeah. Well, how many generations is that? I mean, there's. Family members, because let's see, the Lighthouse journals span the years from 1872 to 1880. So that, yeah, that's, uh, I'm trying to think that my my great-grandmother, who was born in 1898, you know, that's about as far back as, you know, I've directly talked to. Yeah. Now, I remember her telling me, you know, she would talk to her grandfather who was in the Civil War. So you can kind of get back to that, you know, that yeah. same time period. But, you know, the, there's nobody, none of us alive have talked to people who have who are alive at that point in time. Yeah. So that's about as close as you get. And you can get a lot from writing, uh, from reading what somebody wrote. Well, it is when you, you know, you, you read the newspaper articles and they're just like today. It's speculation, controversy, <laughs> yes. and percent of it is pure BS. Yes. And you go and read the, the actual reports by the guys who were doing the beach patrols. And that puts up a, a good perspective or a different perspective on newsprint. Yeah, because they were putting the facts and they're writing it in their logs. And probably nobody from that time ever read the logbook. I mean, I'm not familiar with it, but if you're a reporter, could you just go and say, hey, will you show me the logbook? Or would you even take the time? I you, believe most of those are now put away someplace, such as in, in, in libraries. Yeah, so a lot, a lot of uh, reporting would be just that, what you heard from somebody else. Yeah. And that's what makes it in the newspapers. So to have the cross-reference of, you know, newspaper article accounts, you know, eyewitness stories, books written by survivors. Well, right. Well, it's like in the military. If you go back through and you look at the after-action reports, even though they may not 100% be correct, that's the best you're going to get unless you have eyewitnesses that were there. But 100 years down the road, you're doing research on a battle. The after-action reports is what you're going to be looking at and pretty much going by. Mm-hmm. Now, how much they were edited when they were written, that's another story. You can't tell them that that's what happened. I don't want to look bad. Well, or by omission. They don't yeah. say the whole story, but... Well, what's nice about this is that, like you said, this this is written down, and that story's not going to change, whether it's right or wrong. That's what's right. there. Now you're providing people more access to it. Yeah. So as you're doing your research, you have more resources to cross-reference, and you well, can... Well, you, you, know, you can do your research online. You don't have to go there in person, learn how to use the white glove techniques for looking at old manuscripts, and go from there. Mm-hmm. 
And you can view the collections, uh, westernmichigan.edu and uh, Lighthouse Logs. Have you, have you looked at this one? Have you, did you click the link? Oh, uh, no, hang on. i got to go back. I was looking at something else. <laughs> oh, gosh. I'm, you're not going to get there quick. Which link is it and where is it on the page? It was on the, it was on oh, the story. Digital? It yeah, says visit. And that takes me to, the problem is that this, this podcast could go for nine hours. Oh, here it is. South Haven, Michigan Lighthouse Logs. Lighthouse Keeper Logs in the South Pierhead Light, South Haven, Michigan, from 1872 to 1880. The bulk of the logs were recorded by James S. Donahue, who served as keeper of the South Haven Station for the period of 1872 to 1887. So why would they only have this for like 15 years? I don't know for this one. And you're able to click on the log. And they've, they've done a nice job scanning it. Station inspected by Commodore A. Inspector, 11th District. And that one covered what years? Um, let's see what they say. Is it 1874 to 1880? Okay. I was curious why I, I reviewed their logbooks when it was that young and if, if it wasn't where I was looking at. But Chikora sank in 1895, so the logbook periods that we were looking at were 1895. Okay, so th- that was after this. Yeah, you know, that that's why the book that I looked at may have been, well, it is obviously a different one than this one because it was over into Chicago. Mm-hmm. But it would make sense. Plus, you'd have, you know, logbooks from each lighthouse as long as they were being manned. And then you had different, I, I'm sure Lighthouse Keeper wasn't the highest uh, skilled craft either. So you had probably different levels of education. You probably had some who wrote novels and some who wrote Sun Came Up. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, the lighthouses and the rescue stations were quite interesting and the evolution of how they started and how they sort of went downhill again. It's quite interesting. Yeah, because it's a a perfect case of uh, trying to be physically responsible. Oh, I have to apologize to St. Louis Sam. I was ignoring the chat room. He's asking, sorry, which wreck were we discussing? I'm sorry. He's in the chat room, and I'm just going back and trying to catch up and see what he was asking about. Concern for ammunition being unstable. Well, that that's normally the claim when they talk about war. Uh-huh. Oh, it's, yeah. Don't disturb it. Like if you it, it sank with depth charges on it and they didn't go off, after how many years are they still viable? Well, generally by the time you go to it, the cans have already been deteriorated and the liquids and materials in it have been diluted. Mm-hmm. And generally the firing mechanisms are so corroded they're not going to work. Yeah, they're just, yeah, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> We'll find it, and then we'll worry about it later on. Well, it's already been found. I'm just not going to tell you where it's at. <laughs> You're going to find the little sticker on it that said, Kilroy is here. <laughs> well, we just have to figure out how do we describe some of these things that are a little bit different than what they are. That's not a plane. That is a, uh, I don't know what you would call that. Unmanned aerial device? Yeah. Well, uh, speaking of uh, devices, how about this one? Uh, the SAS 2015 Proteus dual mode underwater vehicle. Yeah. Take two can, of them. Can you imagine what that cost? Just looking at it, it looks amazing. Look at the prop. I yeah. You, you don't make a prop like that unless you've spent a million dollars in engineering it. Yeah. Not to mention, we don't have the crane on any boat we know no. that can lift that. Yeah, I'm, I'm guessing that's like an anti-cavitation prop. You know, they're trying to make it so it's silent. So what this is is a dual-mode manned or unmanned vehicle. Let's display at the Huntington 
Inglis Industries stand in seen airspace in 2015 is built by HII with cooperation of Patelli and Bluefin Robotics. Has completed over 400 hours doing deep sea research and development. It's got to be government, though. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, it's a wet and dry sub. And I have to register to get to anything more. And I, I don't think that I am going to, they're going to give me any access to any of this stuff in here. <laughs> I, I can't influence uh, billion dollar contracts. I'm sorry. But still cool nonetheless. Oh, absolutely. Be fun. That'd be like a, that'd be like a, a DPV for a team. I, like I said, I just would like to have a nice side scan. <laughs> I mean, that's nice too. I mean, very nice. But for what that prop cost, I can outfit myself oh, and yeah. sail for a year. No doubt on my mind. Could, could you imagine losing one of those? Oops. Oh, yeah. yeah. Somebody's going to get a little ticked. Well, that does it for Scuba the News. Ah, that's it. Was that, was that under your, your gear? Yeah. Yeah, it was under gear. Well, wait a minute. How can we be finished? It's still early. Is it that early? Yeah, we're we're only about fifty minutes in. Yeah, you're going to make that sixty minute time. This yeah, yeah. We, we we may do that. The weather's getting nice. Um, so, did you get any diving in, or just well, flying? It's April. Well, yeah, I can tell you the water temperature in Pawpaw Lake is forty eight. Ah, and the water temperature in the rivers is forty eight. Yeah, forty eight's better than thirty two. Yes. A lot better, and there is a significant difference. Are you wet, I, you wet, wet, wet suiting it? Yes, I did. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, I got to get down to the wolves because Jim says he's got a wetsuit for me to try on. Yeah. I, I did uh, check my tank as I was getting in the water, and I'm not quite sure my gauge is correct because it said I had 3,800 pounds. <laughs> what? <laughs> I think I had a really, really good fill. <laughs> oh, my goodness. That was uh, what we call that, uh, high, advanced hydro testing? Well, the the blowout disc was a little bulgy, so I breathed really quick. You breathe really quick. Got sucked down that first 400 pounds. I bet, I bet it, br- it breathes real easy right in the beginning, doesn't it? Uh, it almost <laughs> wanted a <the> free flow. <laughs> part of that could have been from the, uh, from the cold or coolness, but... Yeah, if I did go sideways, I got just a little bit of a a verbally free throw, a free throw, duh. free free throw, uh, free flow, but not enough to you know to go into a full ball, full blown episode. Go so, back to position. So on Papa Lake on that tank, would you have about three hours? I probably could. Well, no. <laughs> I could have probably got almost two hours out of it. You know? Yeah, at uh, you know if you're at fifteen feet, that's you can go a long time. Yeah, visibility was not bad. I probably had ten foot visibility, and that's nice. no lights, no lights or anything. Yeah, and it, you know, yeah. moderately warm. So yes, yes. The hot- I mean, it was comfortable for for a wetsuit. I did do the you know the long giant in hot water before I started, yeah. and I did wear my semi dry gloves, pain in the butt to put them on by myself, but it worked. But um, that was sort of a job I had today, so that was that's even a better excuse when you get paid to get in water. Oh yeah. Yeah, anytime you can do that and get paid. Hell yes. So just the one time in this time, or yeah, I just had a, I got the job done. And I said, well, since I'm out here, <laughs> I'll play a little bit. So it didn't impact the job, and they didn't care. So no hutchies. I'm not telling. Oh, <laughs> you can. Oh, evil. It was in the area that I got that really nice brass bell last year and oh. that crock. Uh huh. It was in that same area. I will say that whatever I did find, I didn't leave. (laughs) 
It's because you didn't want to see it take it to shore. <laughs> Wasn't that it? Uh, actually, I sort of dragged some stuff near shore <laughs> in case I ever wanted to look at it again mm-hmm. or take it some other time. Yeah, it's it's bad form to start bringing up trophies when you're working for somebody else. Yeah, what I mean. Well, yeah. you just got to wear them as like clothing. Well, I didn't bring my goodie back, and I was working. <laughs> yeah. But you just have like you know have that necklace with your around your neck for the regulator instead of the regulator just happens to have a bottle dangling or something. I had pockets. Yeah. Now, did you find a golf ball? Oh yes. Yeah. See, that counts then. Yes, that, that's an official dive. In, in talking about golf balls, uh, I went over and I was talking to the manager of the golf club over there, over in Papa. Mm-hmm. They get their golf balls retrieved every two years. When they do that, they average 50,000. 50,000 golf balls? 50,000 golf balls. Now, is that the place they had the the golf ball rake? Oh, yeah. They all use that now. The, most of the professionals, uh, they have, depending on the size of the pond they're going to go through, mm-hmm. Yeah, they put it through and they just drag it from one side to the other. And uh, it's a lot more efficient than you going down there with your hands trying to find the darn things. Wow. 50,000. That's unbelievable. Well, I was just trying to figure out. You know, how much do you sell those back for? I think about half price. Uh, no, it, it's not that much, but I'm, I'm thinking even, I, I've seen a lot of guys sell them for a quarter ball. But you figure if they haven't been down there and they're on the course itself, they're usually not been duffed up too bad. You know, they're not split, but you can only have them down there so long before they will get non-used. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm not surprised. Well, I mean, I in a way I'm surprised, but then when you figure it out, Every time I go golfing, there's going to be a few in the water. Well, and even if the duffer ones, you can always sell them to the uh, driving ranges. Yeah. Because, I mean, when you're out there, it's just like I just tossed them up here with a baseball bat. I just want to hear that, that nice thunk and want to just sail away. Mm-hmm. Or or if you prefer, you can use a driver and do the same thing. Yeah. I think you'd hurt your back with a driver if I was doing that. That's why I like a baseball bat. It works better for me. <laughs> and if you use an aluminum bat, you get that funk. It sounds good. Yeah. Since I like the same thing when I play golf. It's just I'm so bad at it. I don't get enough of the thunk to make it worth it. I think a lot of guys go just to drive the golf carts and drink the beer. That would be me now. Well, that's just an added incentive, I reckon. Let's see. I think Sam is saying something about 25 cents each. 50,000 balls. That's He said that's $12,500. Yeah. Yeah, not too bad. Uh, that would be nice take home. Yeah. But see, that, that's probably why they only do it once every two years, because don't they rent that equipment? Or is it somebody comes in with that? It's a commercial firm. Um, mm-hmm. used to be a lot of, you know, guys like me would go out there and do it for pretty much cheap. A lot of people do it at night. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> On the real cheap. Uh, don't get caught. But these guys, they can do it in a shorter period of time. Doesn't interfere with the play. And that's what you really want. You want to get the most of us out as soon as you can. Okay. Well, we're getting some oh, – my voice is getting ready to go. We're getting some uh, better dive time now. Yes. Uh, I'm looking for the river no less, no no later than next week, if not before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if we if we can hold off from some rain. We had a pretty good rain – was it Monday? Uh, I've been doing a little bit of other stuff. Uh, if you're looking for bottles – Mm-hmm. And you just want to get wet a little bit. The river's down below the dam. Really? The two sites where we found the uh, the shells and the buttons. Yeah, and burying, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the the place below the the bridge, under the American Legion, off you know off that ravine. Yeah. Have you ever dug back there? No. You ought to go back there. 
Well, you you know, that's uh, where I went camping. We were down there at the Shamrock Park, which was across the other side. Yes, I do. I've been thinking about taking my nephews out there and, and camping out, and we'll take the kayak over and just beat the heck out of the ravine. Oh, that'd be perfect. And that's nice. That rustic camping is right there by the river. It's usually open. Yeah. A lot of people don't do the tents. Yeah. You just can't beat it. It's just, it's just a beautiful park. The bathrooms at that park are the best bathrooms ever. They have upgraded that twice over a couple of years, and they were talking about expanding it again. And basically, they have almost a full house during the winter now. Yeah, well, you see who's there. Yeah, part of it's because you got the outage at Cook Exactly. And that's a prime place to put your trailer. Oh, yeah. And th- th- these guys got the super insulated trailers, and they're getting their per diem, and they're right there next to the river. You just can't beat it. Yeah, the per diem will pay for your trailer, and then uh, the next one's basically you're just paying lot fee. And then you got a place you know. Mm-hmm. So, no, it's just not a bad deal. Well, what we need to do one of those times is drift down to that uh, place we were talking about. You mean our spot? Yeah. Yeah. I we got to get back there. and. Uh, yeah, we got to get a couple of Zodiacs, and we're going to drift down there. And th- I, well, I, 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 I have to admit, though, I have been back there, by the way. Uh-huh. And so as Larry and Ken, because we had the Zodiac. Uh-huh. And it's just as nice as when you and I were there. Ah. Uh. I actually found money there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I I know uh, my wife's family has, has lost teeth, watches, and bottles all along that river. All those shanties there for so many years. Oh, yes. Yeah, and, and what we're talking about is down here below the dam. Uh, it's a Bering Springs dam built in the late 1800s, and they had, they had these raised pier shanties, and people would dip net smelt. And they were like man caves and they would drink and gamble and have all sorts of fun there in the river. And then they made a rule and I think it was the late sixties, early seventies. You couldn't improve them. And when they fell in, they were done. Well, what people got to remember and they don't is that was a navigable stream a hundred and some odd years ago in the 1850s. That was a jumping place down there. Now it was a lot of barge traffic, mm-hmm. push barges, uh, but, again, we've been looking for that. Well, you know that. We were searching yeah. for Davy Crockett. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we've spent a little bit of time looking for that one. And I got some really good size cans of, uh, when you look at the, the pier supports, the one that's missing, I'm going to print a picture of surface shot of it. And then I'm going to print a picture of what it looks like on the bottom because it is quite an interesting hunk of metal or a hunk of concrete down there. Okay. But, uh, yeah, we got to go back. We hit some interesting targets, and this is from uh, downstream of the dam in Buchanan. Okay. If we can, well, are you familiar with the Davy Crockett? Yeah. You've heard us talk about it. It's got the mm-hmm. bowsprit of the dragon and the horse, yes. and they had the engine, so the steam would come out of the mouth of the dragon. Mm-hmm. If that is there, that would be freaking awesome, and all the museums around here would love to have that. Yes. Now, the chances of that happening, slim to none. Because you know as well as I do, in shallow water, salvage like that, what's the first thing they take off? The prop and the boiler. Yep. And anything else, and you know, after 100 and some odd years, the chance of finding it, not too good. But by the same token, if you did. If you don't look for it, you don't find it. And that's correct. But again, you got to have something like a Zodiac. I mean, my kayak is fine for point A to point B, but you get out there in any kind of wave action or wind and... Getting out is not a problem. It's always getting back. By then, you're tired, you're beat, you're cold. Yeah. So, so what we need is two weeks with no rain and tell everybody in South Bend, don't flush the toilets, and we'll be all set. Well, that or I'd like to be on the big lake looking for a few things. And I have. I went through my, my old logs again, 
and I've got one target. It's like I can't believe I have not been back out to see what that is. Mm-hmm. Well, it's yeah, than most people want, but I am going to bounce that sucker just to see what it is. Yeah. Well, I want to reacquire it, and if I get the same target I do now, then it's worth a bounce. Yeah, this is going to be the year. We're finding something out there in a the big lake. I want to find a bunch of stuff. We just got to find some sugar daddy who wants to do that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. You know, all the, you know, Bill Gates, Paul Allens, Larry Ellickson, you know, all those all those people. You know, even, we'll even take a Zuckerberg or so, you know, drop a few, drop a billion. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that, the billion yeah. will get you at least a 50-foot boat. We'll find a 50-foot boat for that. Hey, I, all I want me is a... Something with a good engine, preferably a donkey engine, just so I can get back if I'm out there, and enough for two people and a porta potty. Yeah, for mowing the lawn, that's the way to do it. Uh, yeah, that's what I want to do. Maybe, the- but we can panhandle. Would panhandling work? I'm I'm looking into how to write grants myself, yeah. <laughs> and if I have to write it for the uh, Maritime Preserve, I will. Yeah, well, I think I- we need to. Yeah, we also need to follow up with uh, Jim and find out if they have anything more in the uh, booing project well when i went up to go ships i um made a point to talk they, they had five different groups of um either archaeology state run or otherwise and i, I talked to one young lady uh she's they only have two archaeologists for the state and she was one of them oh no i asked how they got their money and they said basically if they did not get grants they would not have any money and I said, well, how'd you learn to, to do grants? Because that's what I'd like to learn, the process. She says, we got the forms, and we screwed around for a lot of years before we learned how to do it the right way, meaning trial by error. Yeah. Well, the trick is read the grant, write to what the grant is requesting. <laughs> they said people who are sit on these boards say they can't give the money away, and people violate the terms of the grant before they can even give them the money. So you have to make sure that you're addressing what the grant is requesting. Right. Well, it's like the uh, the one that reads like that's another place where I'm going to be going. There's no doubt. Uh, I'm not too much interested looking for the boats, but it was interesting to learn how Grand Valley State University got their money in concert with Western Michigan. Um, so they're working together. They only got ten grand. I say only ten grand would be nice, but they got the support from a couple of salvage companies for their sonar and their underwater camera. Yes. So that was gratis. So when you get that kind of support, you can do a lot. Yeah, yeah, especially for that. That's a that's a huge benefit. That that gear, if you had to buy it, is hugely expensive. They probably get to write off a certain oh, part of depreciation for letting this school use it. Absolutely. And they don't need it. I mean, they only need it when they need it, right? If you're in a Correct. construction company, if you don't have a job that calls for that gear, it's just sitting in your warehouse doing nothing. Right, and it's. I mean, when you can go to a place that's got ice. Dig a hole, put your your unit through it, scan that section, find a bump. You then walk over to where the other, you know, how many feet away it is, dig another hole, and you're right on top of the rack. Yeah. That is pretty freaking cool. But uh, I really expect Kevin, you know who I'm talking about. Yes. He's already got, you know, he, he got him a, um, he has a small boat. He's refitting his bigger boat. But he has hell on wheels on shallow water wrecks. Yeah. And he is, I mean, uh, I went with him and dove that one wreck he found up again, uh, up north. Uh, it was quite interesting. It would be really nice to be able to sonar that and scan it. And he just bought that new Garmin or uh, Hummingbird. Hummingbird. Uh, so he's got two now. So he's going to be able to get some good pictures. So he's got a higher power unit. Now you say he's got two. Is he going to run both of them at the same time? Well, no, no, you can't. You're going to fear with it. What you can do though, is you can piggyback it 
use one for your lane finding and then use the second one for your your looking for your pictures your hits mm -hmm. because if you keep switching back from searching to your lane finder you know your trail uh, yes. you lose you lose time yeah because you, well, you're always switching the screen trying to figure yes. out where you're at and what route you're right. on that makes sense right and then uh, he's already done some research on a few other wrecks so he's got enough to do a book right now uh and he probably will him and sarah because sarah is really good at doing research mm -hmm. for him so uh he's an uppercoming he did buy some tech gear um he's doing it slow but he got him a nice wing uh and you saw his double set up right i haven't yet but i heard he got it. i think he's got 120s so he's got like 200 oh, wow. <laughs> he said he said he's like a big dog and he doesn't want to come up first again so I don't think he's going to come up first with doubles. Not, not, not dual 120s. I, I used to no. say that's what I wanted as a joke, but man. Well, off a boat, you're great. But at my age, there's no way in hell. You're going to need a crane to get me out. Well, and, and I even on a boat, I want a crane. I've had to help people with their you know twin 108s, and that just about rips your arm off. Yeah. No, that on the boat, by the way, we will have a, a little crank and slash electric winch. So when I can, you know, I can tether off my gear get up the ladder and then haul my gear up. Yeah, I've heard those electric winches are nice. Well, you've seen ours, haven't you? The one we have on four wheels when we go up north? What's you wearing? Excuse me? Oh, nothing. Oh, we've got <laughs> the, uh, the the wagon. You fill it full of tanks, and we've got one of those winches you get at Harbor Freight. Uh huh. They took the crank one off and put electric. Yep. And it's got the boom that'll go out, and it'll do a ton. So when you're up at uh, the Blue Water Bridge, mm -hmm. you got a 15-foot drop just from the concrete, not mention the rail. So we figured if one of us got disabled, how the heck are we going to get back up? So we got that. So, one, we can lash off the equipment down at the bottom, come on up, get rid of anything else we want. Somebody else goes down, just hooks it into the gear, lift it up. Then we made a sling. So if somebody got disabled or hurt, back hurt, put the sling under their arms, drag their butts back up. Otherwise, you're going to have to call, you know, rescue to come get you. Yeah. Yeah, there's, there's really no other way to do it. Now, uh, St. Louis Sam is asking if you have any safety days coming up. Safety days. I'm guessing he's probably talking air air uh, skydiving. Oh, that was last week over at Plymouth, matter of fact. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of the places got them over. Well, they're, they're weird times. They say one particular time, but every drop zone picks out what they want based on their own criteria. Like Plymouth this year was going to. First year, they've earned the black. This year, they're rebuilding a freaking runway that was going to be four weeks is now nine weeks through the middle of the summer. Really? Yeah. So they think that they're going to kill the drop zone because they can't afford it. What they're going to do is people will show up there at Plymouth. Then they're going to take a bus or a van, haul them over to Frankfurt or not Frankfurt, but uh, there's another airport and I can't think of the name of it for now, which is about 25 minutes away. Load them up in the airplane there, fly them back, jump out so they can land where they drove their cars to. Now, that is inconvenient as hell. Yeah. And they're not going to be able to have any turbine aircraft this year because they got no runway. <coughs> and they had, bought a, they had bought a twin they were going to use, except they blew an engine. <laughs> so it's, it's one ball of wax after the next. That yeah, makes for it rough. Yeah. Well, what kind of fungus among us did you catch? Oh, I don't know. Bluebonic or... <laughs> did you meet Mary somewhere? Oh, I don't know what's going on. This is... I say two words, I'll keel over. Yeah. You're going to be at the uh, dive meeting next week? 
Yeah, I plan on making it there. Yeah, I mean, I won't be there, but so have a good one. Take notes for me so I can do the newsletter. Okay. <laughs> I'm putting on a presentation up in Plainwell. Well, good luck in the presentation. Well, that's no good luck. I'm going to have fun with it. I always got to get and trim it down because I got a, a real bad habit of running off at the mouth. I don't no. have to have to the audience. Excuse me. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> uh, but I'm, I'm going to do a bit of a grubbing show and tell. Even though they're a detecting group, they do surface, they do bottle, they do privies, and a couple of them do dive. So I'm going to do the show and tell based on uh, pawpaw of Treasures Beneath and then modify it and I modified it and then I'll, I'm going to add the river in. And I got some video snippets I'll put in there on the weed line, the, the depth of some of the muck, and then how we find some of the, the stuff up there in the uh, Black River there up in Sheboygan. Mm-hmm. I think I can keep them amused for an hour. Yeah, but you, you're not going to have any problem with that. No, we. I had a good. I did a presentation up in Muskegon uh, for the Power Squadron first of the month, and they all liked it. And I, I like it too when I get paid. <laughs> Will they pay you? Uh, yeah. I get wow. I get honorariums, and when they're away from home, I it I basically say you know they say what do you charge and I I'm cheap actually yeah but, uh, I make sure I get my gas money they always feed me, which is always a number one item yeah you got to get fed, but you know you you're talking three hours or and a half hours of driving plus setup time plus demob plus mm-hmm. the present I mean it's 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 a lot of work. But I do it in the hopes that I'm going to get some feedback of, well, I once hit a wreck out here, and I got this big, I, it's called Bumps on the Bottom. Yeah. And I changed it to show scans of, if you see this, what do you think it is? And then I show them a picture of what it is. And that's when they go, oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Well, it's one of those, what's in it for me? I said, if you find a wreck, and we go down and prove it, you get to name it. You know, you may have solved the mystery of the Great Lakes. And that's when, you know, you get the little drooling, then you know you got them. Yeah. But just like all the clubs nowadays, everybody's old. I mean, we're the geriatric divers. Yes. <laughs> and it's hard to get new people in anything, in, in bicycling, dive club, kayak club, jumping. It's the older people who are maintaining it. When we die, that's it. I've, I think you're right. I think it's going to be another 20 years and then this current, you know, the, the 10 to 18-year-olds now. When they finally decide there's more to life than looking at a four-inch screen are going to uh, decide the real world something to try out. But all these groups will have gone away. Yeah. I belong to a bunch of groups who are consolidating. The, you know, a group from two towns will, you know, they can't sustain two separate groups, so they'll merge together. Well, look at the American Legion. Look at the VFW clubs. Look how many have folded and have yep. merged. Even though they are still, I mean, with the last 15 years of war in Iraq and a few other places, you would have thought they'd be much more active. But the military has always been the, uh, you know, the bastard stepchild. The only time they want them is if they're, you know, time of war. Afterwards, it's they're disposable. Well, there's a whole podcast just on that topic right there. Yeah. Well, if you want to follow us on Facebook, it's facebook.com forward slash goobobsessed. We're on Twitter at ScoobObsessed, and we also have our frequently updated website, www.scoobobsessed.com. You want to follow the Mud Club, mudclub.scoobobsessed.com. And we'd like to thank uh, Reno Viola for this radio network, renovioloutdoors.com, wrvoradio.com. You can listen on TuneIn. 
let's see. I think we've kind of done it. So we love those five-star reviews. If you, I'll put a plug in, too. Uh, yes, go ahead. If anybody's interested locally for programs, On the Hunt for Treasure. And you got to capitalize the first letter of each of those words, On the Hunt for Treasure. And that's a website. I'm going to actually start a pod up on that one, or a podcast, not a podcasting, but a blog. I'll probably start that in another couple of weeks. And I'm going to do it for one year. So what's the what's the website? On the Hunt for Treasure. And when I get mine fixed up, I'm going to put a link over to the uh, Mud Club site and mm-hmm. to Scoob Obsess so we can share that kind of stuff if you're interested. Oh, my gosh. There's a photo of some guy. Did you just look that up? Yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, we've got some activities planned, and that's why I was going to try to do a, a, you know, a blog there for one year just for fun. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to go out in a blaze of glory one way or the other because we're doing some uh, gliding this year. Uh, maybe doing some crew, going to be uh, doing a lot of diving, a lot of metal detecting. We're going to, what, what does it say? Better to uh, wear out than rust out, by God, yeah. and we're going to give it a shot this year. Yeah, now when you say gliding, what do you mean? Is that like the... Like they used to do gliders back years ago. Yeah. I was on a soaring society. So I'm going to go play with the gliders a little bit. I was thinking seriously about getting a different rating, but I uh, got my partner in crime primed to go do that also. Nice. So... A little bit. We hope to be different and be doing a little bit of a lot of stuff. I'm going to be out there and play Walter Mitty for a while. Yeah, yeah. My my dad uh, did a glider once as a passenger, of course. Yeah, uh, and he loved it. That's what he always wanted to do. If you've never been up, it's it's worth a shot, especially if you get into um, an acrobatic one. Uh, it's fun, and it's just like on a rebreather. The first thing you notice is, damn, it's quiet. Yeah. Well, in a glider, once you're off release, it's quiet. It's very, very nice. And you can you can solo a glider at 16, actually 14. So any kids out there, hey, Civil Air Patrol, join them. Most of them have power planes and gliders. You can learn to fly for free. Really? Oh, yeah. They have an um, air squadron here, and they've got one in Laporte. Buddy and mine, we're, we were going to go over and work on it if and when they got a glider. Because then it would be worth the time to uh, get the rating, because then you could use it. And then, of course, you, you volunteer and do a lot of other work. But, it's you know, if you like to fly, that's great. But anyway, stay tuned. We hope to do good things this year and give it one year and see what happens. Yeah, well, it's, it's uh, great. We'll, we'll certainly link to it and get you some traffic and be following. This has got to be a year. This is one of those years where I'm kind of the same thing. Is got to do something. I mean, there's if always more work, but you got to do things. If you don't put it on the schedule, it doesn't get done. Yeah. And that's why, you know, the, the Sheboygan trip, if you haven't, you know, put it on your calendar, you won't do it. Oh, no, I, the, the, I, I've given up on the Sheboygan trip, honestly. Uh, I When when my son's 19 is I think, the <laughs> next time, well, I just can't. It's it's the time of year that Sheboygan trip is just does not work out. I mean, you look at the last time it was when they were preteens and, you know, I could sneak away for a weekend. But, you know, with them and sports and school and everything else, there is always something on that weekend when we're heading up there well i'm putting down for oshkosh um, i haven't camped up there before but by god i'm going this year and i'm going to camp for a couple of days and now, I, what, I, now I, when my, is oshkosh is that oh, july my calendar let's see if i have it on my regular calendar standby pull up the great big book of everything oshkosh starts on the 20th of july yeah you know so i that, i want to say i was right by there when it was going on for work i we one of my uh my previous company, 
which I still do the same job at the same desk, but it was my previous company. I can't figure that out. But they, uh, we had an office up that was right near there, Wapaka. Well, one day is great, but you can burn yourself out trying to see everything in a day. Mm-hmm. So, See, that's one of those where I could probably do that as an excuse for a family trip, or at least even just my son and I go up. Well, uh, what I'm, I'm going to do is go up and spend two days. Hopefully the weather will be half decent because we're talking with a tent. And then uh, on the way back, I'm going to take them down to, I did yeah, last year, I took them to Renaissance Fair in Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. I took them to look at the girls. Yeah. You know, the chain mail girls. Oh, yeah. And they spent most of their time on the hill watching the tomato toss. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'd give them a couple of years. Sort of, well, hell, he's a senior next year. Oh, wow. Yeah. So what can I say? Yeah, he he probably had two eyes. You know, one can look one way, one can look the other. Yeah. But well, it, it was fun last year. We had a great time. I got a lot of good pictures, and uh, that's what I do. I like to go take pictures anymore. Well, I think we are getting to that time of the show. Are oh, you ready? I, I'm going to grab hold of my chair seat here. I'm, I'm ready. Yeah. Well, you know how we were talking about uh, rich people help us with boats. Yeah. So I think that kind of goes along with this with this one this week. Oh. Yep. Uh, one afternoon, a rich man was riding his limousine when he saw two men along the roadside eating grass. Disturbed, he ordered his driver to stop and got out to investigate. He asked one man, why are you eating grass? We don't have any money for food, the poor man replied. We have to eat grass. Well, then you can come with me at my house and I'll feed you, the rich man said. But, sir, I have a wife and two children with me. They're over there under that tree. Bring them along, the rich man said. Turning the other poor man, he announced, you come with us also. The second man in a pitiful voice said, but, sir, I have a wife and six children with me. Bring them all as well, the rich fellow answered. They all climbed in the car, which was no easy task, even for a car as large as a limousine. Once underway, one of the poor fellows turned to the rich man and said, Sir, you're too kind. Thank you for all for taking all of us with you. The rich man replied, Glad to do it. You'll really love my place. The grass is almost a foot high. You're bad. You're <laughs> so bad. But he's generous. <laughs> and I don't think he's going to give us any money for a boat either. Uh, but you probably give us some grass, and depending on the kind of grass, you might be able to convert that into money. Yeah, sea grass. Yeah, that's true, too. So on that note, go out there and get wet. And stay safe. recording has been completed.